opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good day, everybody, um, and welcome to the October uh, Arizona Council of the Blinds um, community event. Today is October 24th. Um, I am Kayla, and today we are going to have Jerome Hale talk to us about um, his his experience of being visually impaired as in an entrepreneur, as well as an orientation mobility instructor. And that's actually how I met Jerome, was he was my orientation and mobility instructor. And... Um, I got to say that he definitely gave me a lot of confidence I did not have prior to working with him. So I'm very grateful for him. I'm working here today with us tonight is Travis is going to be our host. We have Tyann. She is connecting us as well as moderating for us over in Clubhouse. Um, and we have Anthony streaming us on ACB Media 5. So thank you, team, for being here and working with me this evening. And Jerome, hi, how are you this evening? I am wonderful. Life is great. Thank you for the kind words. The check is in the mail. <laughs> Good. You know where I live. Oh. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> so um, I know you traveled home today from, I believe it was Minnesota. So thank you for being here after traveling. I really appreciate you. Um, and I know you're going for a sporting event, correct? Well, actually, we didn't go. My oh, you didn't? No, oh, no, my wife's uh, father passed away, so we end up um, not being able to make it. But um, that's a whole other story. I don't want to. Yeah, um, yeah. So my condolences to you yeah. and your wife, though. Yeah. So. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right. So I know we we only have like about an hour, so I was going to just hand it over to you to kind of start telling your story. And then we'll take some time for questions here in just a bit, if that works. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, my goal is to tell you my story. I love talking about myself. I am my own favorite topic. So uh, hopefully I can get this done in under an hour. Um, my goal is to not bore anyone. So please don't fall asleep on me. Um, but before I do so, I want to do have you guys to do two things. Um I want you to just kind of like close your eyes and just kind of think, just kind of go back to like you being a preschooler, like imagining. Right. So I want you to and we'll talk about this at the end. I want you to just kind of think about if you could wake up tomorrow and it didn't require any type of training. You didn't have to go to school. You didn't need a hookup. You didn't need anything. But other you just wake up and you could be this profession. What would that be? I just want you to kind of think about that. Just have that plan around in your head as I'm talking. And then I also want you to think about what's your favorite soup. So just those two things. If you could wake up, you could be anything. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to go to trade school. You didn't have to have any type of special training. And also, what's your favorite soup? All right. So um, as Kayla mentioned, I am visually impaired. Um, so I have what's called star guards. Uh, so star guards is where your retinas are uh, slowly deteriorating. So uh, so so kind of reference. Um, I don't see detail very well. So it's sort of like retina um, sort of like macular, macular degeneration. Um, I have decent peripheral vision, but my central vision is where it's deteriorating. The thought process is that my vision has 
the decrease has plateaued and the only decrease from this point on would just be age related. Um, I'm 44 years old now. And so um, hopefully, prayerfully, that that's that prognosis will be correct. Um, I didn't know I had star guards until I was 31 years old. So we're I'm originally from Chicago, born and raised there. I've always had glasses my whole life. Um, and it wasn't until I was 31 years old, I tried to renew my driver's license. And so I tried to renew my driver's license and I went in to go and put my eyes in the little viewfinder there and I just couldn't pass. I just couldn't see the letters and things like that. And so um, I knew that my driver's license was, was expiring and I knew I wanted to get driver's license and I have them when I was coming out here in Arizona. And so I just couldn't pass it. And so the lady was behind the desk and she was just telling me, she's like, well, hey, we can't pass you here. So we're going to need you to go and get your driver's license, uh, your drive, your vision test done somewhere else. But thankfully, they were just so busy trying to figure out what Chinese restaurant they were going to eat at. And they just gave me my driver's license anyway. I ran up out of that DMV as fast as humanly possible. And I got on the next thing smoking and I, I moved to Arizona. Um, but before I moved to Arizona, I went and tried to get a, another vision exam. And so when I went to go get the vision exam, um, the lady said the same thing. And they said, hey, something is going on with your vision. It's just not what it needs to be. And in my young and dumb nature, I just didn't I did not believe it. Um, I went to like a, a vision works. And in my mind that that wasn't a real doctor. I'm like, this lady doesn't know what she's talking about. She's in a strip mall next to Little Caesars. You're not a real doctor. Right. I was just in complete denial. And then so they gave me a referral to get a low vision eval. I took that took that, put it in a box and moved to Arizona. Um, so fast forward, we moved to Arizona. We come here. My wife is a nurse. She ended up um, being able to transfer her job here. And my son is a football player and he was ready to play football. And I was my job was going to take two weeks to transfer. And so everyone had started their lives and I'm just sitting here bored. And so I'm unpacking my boxes. And what did I come across? I come across that actual referral. So I come across that referral and I go and I, I, I go to the low vision eval. And and they said the same thing, like, hey, there's something wrong with your vision. And and I'm just like steadily, steadily in denial. I couldn't figure out what's going on. But I remember my cousin at like 14, she had some issues. And so I called her and I said, hey, Don, what's going on? She's like, well, Jerome, I'm sorry. It sounds just like what I have. She said, I'll pray for you. But it sounds like star guards. Um, and so up until that point, I had took just about every exam, every type of test, every thing that you can imagine, as I'm pretty sure some of you guys have been through. And so when I went back to the doctor to get my last results, the doctor was kind of hemming and hawing. He didn't really want to tell me what it was. And I was like, hey, man, is this Star Guards? And he was like, yes. How do you know? I was like, well, my cousin has it. And he's like, well, I can give you one more test to take. I was like, well, if I take this test, will you be able to fix it? He's like, no, but it'll give you the label. I'm like, well, I have enough labels. I don't need another label. Um, so he said, well, I can give you uh, information to this low vision doctor. Um, so I went to go see uh, Dr. Palmer in Scottsdale. And from there, um, Dr. Palmer was awesome. Um, he set me up 
with a whole bunch of a lot of uh, low vision technology. He was so excited to see me because at that point he was like, hey, I'm 31 years old. He's like, everyone I see is just, you know, 70, 80, 90 years old. He said, everyone in my office, they just want to uh, play bridge or they want to be able to see their grandchildren. Take all this technology home. Show me how to work it. Help me do this. He would just give me stuff. I was like his guinea pig. Um and so that was pretty cool. And he told me, hey, you need to get into uh, vocational rehab. And so I tried mightily to get into vocational rehab. But some of you guys probably know trying to get into that is just it's just ridiculous. So I would call and call and couldn't get into vocational rehab. Now, my whole life, people told me that I should be a teacher. I remember even my high school guidance counselor said you should be a teacher. But in my mind, I was like, man, I'm too cool to be a teacher. There's no way I should be a teacher. Um, and so, but when I moved out here, I gave in, I mean, and the more and more I think about it, I, I've taught someone my whole life. I coached football for 15 years. I've always taught people how to connect their computers or their TVs or something. I taught people about God or anything. I've always taught somebody something. So I gave in. So I went to go back to school to become a teacher. Um, and my first semester, I struggled mightily. Um, because I just couldn't see the board. I couldn't see textbooks. Um, I couldn't see my laptop. My shoulders would hurt because I would hold my laptop in my left hand so close to my face and type with my right hand that my shoulders would hurt by the end of typing my paper. Um, now, my first day of class, the, the kids did come. I call them kids because I'm 31 years old. The college kids would come in and they would ask, hey, if you need help, if you have any disabilities, we would, you know, we can help you. But my pride just wouldn't allow me to ask for help. So I sat there and I struggled mightily. Um, and I love to talk and I love to write. And so my first class, I had an actual writing assignment. Um, and But I had my son um, type for me. And so my writing class, I knew I aced this paper and I, I had my son type for me and then I, I got the grade back and I got a B and I couldn't for the life of me understand why I got a B. And I read the comments and the professor said, hey, Jerome, this is a great paper. But every time you use the word you, you type the letter you. And it's because my son was typing for me. He was using text talk. I was so frustrated. I wanted to wring his neck. But my wife was like, nope, it's your fault. You were too proud. You, they asked you to get help. You didn't want to get help. It's your fault. And I had to take it like a man and you were right. So, uh, you know, the next semester, when they when the kids came around and asked if you need help, I said, yeah, of course, I need help. Uh, and so I, I talked to them at um, at the community college. And then, so they told me, hey, you should get into voc rehab. I'm like, well, I've tried. I've tried a gazillion times to get into voc rehab. And so thankfully, the lady at the disability um, center said, hey, I know someone at voc rehab. And so she connected me to someone at voc rehab. And back then, this was about maybe 10 years ago, they would actually um, send out a limousine to your house. So they sent the limousine to my house and they picked me up and they they took me all around to a bunch of different facilities in Arizona. So they took me to the Savvies. They took me to the FBCs. They took me to the ACBVIs and a bunch of places. And we had um, meetings with Colorado School for the Blind. And so ultimately, I end up um, choosing um, the FBC. Now, I was already employed as a para because I had already made the decision to go back to school to become a teacher. Uh, I was employed as a para in the Chandler Unified School District. And um, so I, I started, I said, hey, I want to go 
and further my education. So I went to the FBC. And so my first day at the FBC, I met this orientation and mobility instructor named Tom Brew. He gave me a cane and he put a blindfold on me and he put me in his room. And I was walking around and he was just asking me a bunch of questions. And I stopped halfway through and I was like, wait a minute, this is your job? And he's like, yes. I was like, wait a minute, you get paid to do this? You do this every day? He said, yes. I was like, that's it. I wouldn't do this the rest of my life. So I got done with that. I called my VR counselor. I said, listen, I know I've already have you guys to say I want to, you know, I want to be a teacher, but I want to pivot and I want to be an orientation mobility specialist as well. So I finished um, going to school to become a teacher. I taught um, in the classroom and then I continued on to get my master's degree in special education. Um, so then that fast forwards me, catches me up to um, the year of COVID. So it, it was 2020. Uh, and, we, you know, we were we were at home teaching online and everything was just crazy. Right. Um, so I ended up finishing my master's degree. I had my my graduations, my graduation virtual. Everything was just crazy. I had to go all the way to Las Vegas just to take my certification test because everything was shut down here. Um, and then we ended up going back to going back into the classroom in May of 2021. We're going back into prior to 2021. And so this thing, this conversation with my principal stuck with me. Um, I asked him a question. I was like, hey, what are we doing here? How are we doing this, these things? And he said, Jerome, we're learning to build a spaceship and fly it at the same time. And that stuck with me. And I was like, hmm, I work for the Channel Unified School District, one of the best school districts in the state. It's a bunch of PhDs and master's degrees and all this. And they're winging it at the, they're winging it. I'm like, hmm, if they can wing it, if they don't know what they're doing, why can't I? And so several weeks after that, I just started, I decided to start my own business and I left the classroom and I haven't looked back. Um, so May of 2021, I left and I started my own business. So now I instead, I am not only uh, a vocational rehab client, but I'm also a vendor for vocational rehab. Um, I'm also a partner with the Foundation for Blind Children. I'm also the um, orientation mobility instructor for the entire district of Deer Valley. And I'm also a partner with um, Viewfinder. So Dr. Grandella and his practice. Um, and so one of the things I wanted, I kind of sped over, I wanted to kind of go back to um, is that when I taught in the Channel Unified School District, I was the first teacher that taught in that school district with a visual impairment. And it was tough. It was tough. Um, I, no one prior to me had to have their teacher manuals um, done. For, I mean, cause you, you guys know teacher manuals are notoriously small because the answers are real small. So teach, so the kids can't see the answers and things like that. So with them being notoriously small, it was even harder for me. So I had to have things accommodated for me. I had to have things done for me. Uh, I had to take the, they had to take the actual um, teacher manual to the FBC and they had to convert them over to PDF so they can be electronically uh, formatted so they can be read to me. I had my, myself and the principal were the only two people in the whole school who had new computers. Um, I felt bad because all of my um, my fellow teachers had these big dinosaur computers on their desk and I had this slim computer. And they would walk past and say things like it must be nice, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, one of the other things that 
um, really, really, I want to kind of hit on too, because I, I find out in our population, we just kind of like, we're afraid to ask for help. And we we just kind of like want to go alone and get along. There were many times as a teacher, we would go, we would go out to eat. And there were times when uh, we would go to this place called Cafe Zupas. And I hated Cafe Zupas. But I would, and not because they didn't have good food, but it's because I could never read the menu. And Cafe Zupa was just like um, a fancy schmancy um, subway. And, but they would always like their grilled cheese and they would have the soup of the day. And so I would always go there and I would just say, hey, you know, what's the soup of the day? And they would always just point up to the board, but I could never read the board. And I would never have the courage to ask them because I would always think that they would think that I couldn't read. Um, and especially as a black man, I didn't want this little 16 year old bumpy face kid think that I just I was illiterate. And the the crazy thing is that I had great friends and my my friends would have gladly read the menu for me. Um, but or I could have easily just, you know, had the menu on my phone and re- pulled out my phone. But I just never wanted to be able to do that. Um, so my pride so much got in the way so many times. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about that as well. Um, but now I'm glad to say that I don't have that issue anymore. I'm, I'm able to be able to just let people know like, hey, I, I can't see that. You know, can you t- can you read that for me? Or can you tell me that? Or I ask someone with me or if I don't want to pr- provide that information, then, you know, before I even go to a place, I pull out my cell phone and I make sure I know where I'm going and to kind of figure those things out. Um, so that's that's my story. Um, sort of my story. I kind of want to open it up for questions. I wanted to kind of blow through it because I'm hoping that we have a lot of questions so we can kind of go through and just have an open discussion so I can do more of just answering any questions that you guys may have. So all right. First, first oh, of ahead, all, um, I just want uh, you used a lot of acronyms. So you said you went to FBC for those of who yes. um, don't know that is the foundation for blind children. And that's actually where I went to preschool. And I had Tom Brew as a um, mobility instructor way back when, you know, he wasn't 80 years old. <laughs> um, and I, I'm not exaggerating on the 80 year oldness. He was like 50 when he worked with me. So um, I just wanted people to know that um, the NF, uh, that is the foundation for blind children. Yes. All right, Travis, who's up first? Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Melissa. Good evening, Melissa. Good evening, Kayla, and good evening, um, Jerome. It is a pleasure to meet you. My name is Melissa Hudson. I'm in Berrien, Washington, uh, and it's God bless you. God bless you for sharing your story. Thank you. That really inspired me. Um, and it actually brought back memories because I went to the Colorado School for the Deaf and Blind. I lived in Colorado for about 11 years with my mom and her ex-husband, but I went to that school for almost five years and then went back to public school for the last um, for the last um, three years before graduating high school. So, And actually, one of my teachers, one of the teachers at that school had a star guards, and he was a guide dog handler. And oh my God, he was a fantastic teacher. And his wife taught me uh, for about three years and she really helped me 
um, with a lot, you know, just gain a lot of confidence, especially in math and things like that. But my question to you, sir, is how did you get the message that blindness is not the end of the world? It's not a big deal. It's just a different way of looking at life. And but how, how did you just get that wake up call, so to speak, um, that, you know, that blindness was just not a big deal to you and that you could do anything you wanted to? And again, thank you for being here and uh, blessings to you. Well, I'll say I'll tell you this. That's that's first of all, I don't want to minimize it by saying that that's an easy process and that is not that. And also that say that it's not an ongoing process. Um, I read something and I should have mentioned this earlier. I read something when I was in school that said that blind and visually impaired people only make up one to two percent of the world's population. So typically I tell people all the time, you know, that we're like mutants. We're like X-Men. We have to stick together. You guys are all my family. I'm Wolverine and you guys can be whatever other X-Men you want. Um, but I really, truly believe that God made me this way for a reason. He made me visually impaired and he made me a teacher. And this is my purpose. That's the reason why I asked everyone to close their eyes and think about what you would be if you could just wake up it tomorrow. Cause I really feel like I'm living that out. If I, if I could wake up tomorrow and be anything else, this is what I would be. I would be visually impaired and I would be doing this because honestly, if I wasn't visually impaired, I wouldn't be doing this because if people always ask me and I tell them what, what my job is and they say, well, how did you get into that? I'm like, because I'm visually impaired as well. Like, like I, I don't, most people who are O&Ms or things like that, they don't get into it unless they, they are visually impaired themselves or know someone else. But so I would say, I started to realize that first I had to realize who I am. And as a person, I am not, I'm a person who just so happened to be visually impaired, right? So that, that confidence in who I am comes from my relationship that I have with with God and just myself. And then also knowing that I put in the work, right? So none of this comes easy, but once you put in the work, you just you just start believing in yourself. So I hope that hope that I answered your question. Yeah. Yes, sir, you did. And and um amen to that. That's it's I'm told I've been blind all my life and it is still an ongoing absolutely <laughs> process absolutely um in fact i'm doing technology training um right now 4 days a week with a vendor through department of services for the blind and boy am i ever so grateful that i'm doing that because it's going to help me in the long run uh for when i get a job and things like that so anyway thank you again thank you as of now we do not have any other hands Okay, I have a question. So, Jerome, um, you said that you were sent home with a bunch of different technology and all of that. Um, I'm sure some of it was beneficial and some of it may not have been as helpful. Well, I know for me, I've been sent home with stuff and I'm like, you know, this really wasn't working for me. So do you have a couple things that really work for you that improved your quality of life? Yeah, so I remember early on the Ruby. Um, the Ruby was a CCTV, like a closed captioning TV. It's um, um, I, I'm not sure how many of you guys are familiar with the the Ruby, 
but basically it's it's a um, where you can you can slide over it magnifies things um it it really helped me in the beginning especially when i was in school and i was using it for textbooks uh, I guess I will be able to uh, slide it over to be able to read things. It helped me out when I was used to go to the grocery store. Um, the Ruby was was awesome. Um, now, uh, the cell phone has such an amazing piece of technology <laughs> that it kind of replaces the Ruby. Um, so the cell phone would do pretty much all the same thing that the Ruby does. So I find myself using the cell phone just pretty much all the time. Like when I when I'm in the store, if I need to. Um, if I'm going like my wife, I refuse to say makes me go to the grocery store when she heavily suggests that I go to the grocery store. <laughs> so, when she like, can, here's my shopping list, but you, yeah, yeah. So, I just text you a shopping list. <laughs> there, there you go. So, but, you know, so if I need to see like aisle 20, you know, aisle 28, if I need to, I pull out my cell phone and I zoom in on aisle 28. Right. So um, and then same thing, you know, with, you know, Campbell's soup. If I need to see an onion soup versus this soup, I pull out the cell phone. The cell phone is an amazing piece of technology. Um, so that that's a piece of technology. A, a lot of the talking um, devices. So a talking scale was was awesome for me. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, talking thermometer, because I love to cook. So being able to know that your chicken is not raw. Uh, <laughs> The talking watch, the talking calculator, a whole bunch of talking devices was huge for me. Yeah. So I know the answer to this, but everyone else doesn't. So how, since you are visually impaired and they said you couldn't get your driver's license, whatever happened with that? You kind of didn't fill in where you are now with that. So I, great question. So I drive now with um, a device called a bioptic. So um, a bioptic, and we've probably, most people have probably seen them before, maybe. Um, it, it's it's similar, it's a my regular prescription glasses and over my right eye, there's a telescope. It's similar to what you've seen, maybe a jeweler would wear or maybe like a dentist. And so when I'm driving and let's say I can see the intersection from ways away, but if I need to see if that light is red or if it's green or yellow, I can just nod my head, my right eye goes into the telescope, boom, I can see how far away, I can see that that, that light is red or green. Um, I primarily drive with the use of a, um, with my GPS. So I use two cell phones. Um, I use the iPhone because most clients and most people have the iPhone. And so most clients will ask me, I'm an Android user by nature, but most clients will have iPhones and they say, hey, help me with this. But what I do use my iPhone for, I use my iPhone as my GPS um, because my vision is is so low that I can't see my actual dashboard. I can't make out the detail of my dashboard or the GPS in my car. So um, I'll use my iPhone as my GPS. So I don't drive anywhere without my GPS. People ask me all the time, what street are you on or which way did you come? I don't know. I listen to the lady get me here and I'm just making sure that <laughs> I'm just making sure that the lights are green and I'm not bumping into anybody. And I, I, I just listen. I don't know what street I, you, you pay me a million bucks. I don't know. I've been in your house a bunch of time. I don't know how I, how I, I just I just concentrate on getting there safely. So that's yeah. how I'm able to drive. And then lastly, I took um, I took this this school called Driving to Independence. Because that's how I'm able to get my driver's license now. 
Um, so, cause you know, driver's license here in Arizona, you, they, um, expire <laughs> when you're 65, but now, yeah. um, I have to do it differently. So I had to go to drive it to independence. I had to drive with these people for like hours and they could certify that I won't kill anyone. So, yeah. And we wonder why there's so many accidents, red r- light runners and just crazy people out there on the streets daily when they're like, here's your license for 40 years. There you go. Um, <laughs> So uh, I would not say Arizona is the safest place to be a pedestrian. Yeah. I see some some hands. Yes, we definitely have hands now. Go ahead. (laughs) All right, Nora, you are up next. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hi, pleased to meet you, Jerome. And I'm visually impaired myself. And when you were growing up, were you visually impaired when you were first born and when you were growing up? Yeah. So oddly enough, I wore glasses my whole life, but it never affected me. So star guards are something that you're born with. I mean, it affected me, but I didn't know. And and I look back on it and I was so dumb. <laughs> I probably robbed myself of some of my my residual vision now because I remember a stretch where I thought glasses was just dumb and I wasn't cool. And I remember breaking my glasses on purpose and uh, I remember I'm looking back on it. And I'm like, man, I probably robbed myself of like some good vision. Well, no, I shouldn't say good vision. I should rob myself of some vision um, now. But uh, yeah, I, I've worn glasses as early as I can remember. I've worn glasses. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, we have Gene. Gene, how are you doing? Gene, you're still muted. All right. We'll give her a moment to figure that out, and we will move to Travis. All right. Hello, everybody. This is Travis from Home your Home Depot, Travis from California. How you doing, Travis? Good. How about you? I cannot complain. Life is good. Yeah, Jerome, first of all, I think this is the first time I've ever met you. I'm pretty sure I had to say for what you wanted to do and everything, you are definitely quite the inspiration for um especially for ACB and everything. And um it's really neat that you wanted that you got your teaching credential and that you wanted to be an OM instructor and everything, and that you um are, you also started your own business. And I have to say I'm very proud of you for what you've done. And how you build your confidence over the years and everything. And um, I'll tell you what, you know, after um, our first uh, person who raised her hand, um, couple of, a couple of years in, from 2000 to 2002, my family and I lived in Colorado for a short period. And I was at their deaf and blind school as a student. And not only did they catch me up when I went to the school there before I moved back to California to go to public school for high school. Um my confidence got a lot better, especially you know, totally better when it came to cane usage and using my cane in public. Awesome. You know, thanks to a great O&M instructor I had and everything. And even when I went to public school, yeah, that's another thing. And I even built more confidence, you know, the teachers I had over the years and making those friendships like I did, like doing things on the weekends, you know, with my mm-hmm. friends and everything and being a part of the Young Life group. You know, when I was in junior high and, you know, the high life in high school, going to camp by myself, you know, summer camp and winter camp, everything in between. And to this day and age, I still use my cane all the time, even when I take my, 
you know, walks in the neighborhood. Awesome. And of course, with me working in retail, of course, which I do work for Home Depot. So of course you have to use your cane and your Home Depot to get around. <laughs> help. Absolutely. And of course I had O&M training in the uh, workplace because any workplace you get hired at, you do need O&M so you know your workplace, all the important areas. Awesome. But I, I have to say, Jerome, I'm very proud of you for how you've come around. And that is just unreal that you were Kayla's O&M instructor too. That's just like, wow. Yeah. Well, I want to say I'm proud of you because I will tell you the hardest part of being an O&M instructor is trying to get someone to use their cane um, yes. in public. It's such a stigma. And I think the fact that you're using it and using it in public actually tr helps trailblaze and helps make my job easier because the more and more you use it out in public, the more it becomes less of like a unicorn, less of some someone not being able to see it. So uh, my hat is off to you um, and any and everybody who's using their cane out in public. Thank you, because you're just making not only my job easier, but uh, these kids that's coming up. Um, well, and I have to say, too, my belief is, too, is using the waiting position to its street crossings, you know, wait position and the double tap, you know, when you're getting ready to go, like all quiet. If there's no cars, all clear. If you did have some perpendicular traffic at all and when it finally goes to parallel traffic, I believe in those, you know, you know, those scenarios, especially when we celebrate White Cane Day and Blind Awareness. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Travis. I'm glad you're able to make it in tonight. Thanks, Kayla. All right, All right. other Travis. Gene, <laughs> <laughs> are you able to unmute? I'll give you one more chance here. All right. It's uh, Alt-A or Command-Shift-A, depending on platform. If you're on the phone, it's usually somewhere around the bottom left-hand corner. So we'll go ahead and check in with uh, Lisa. Lisa Hi, Brooks. everybody. Um, so thank you. And um, Jerome, I appreciate your honesty um, about the part of your journey that you've shared. Um, and the question that I have, vision loss and going through changes of vision is not only affects the, the person that it's happening to, but it also affects their family members and, and trying to, to uh, navigate you know, maybe some changes that, that have to be made, whether it's situations with driving or anything with kids and things like that. So I guess my question is, um, what advice do you have for, you know, families or, you know, if you could look back on your younger self when you were kind of going through all these different things, um, would you give for, for people in that um, sort of transition phase? Um, with, with talking to their families or just in, in dealing with everyday situations that might come up and go Diamondbacks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the biggest, Oh, wow. That's such a great question. A loaded question. Um, I think patience, patience and just in general, um, I am oftentimes so impatient with my wife and with my son and with, other people because, and I, I think all of you guys can relate to this, right? It's because having limited vision and, or even no vision and we operate and we function, right? And then there's someone who doesn't have any vision issues 
I guess in our mind, we feel like they should function so much faster. So I'll ask my wife to read something and I'm like, oh my God, why are you taking so long? Like, like, what, like, read this? Like, why are you reading like a third grader? Like, or everything that she does is say like she's moving in slow motion, but I have to remember, like, I'm used to listening to something in in 1.75x or 2x or things like that. Um, I also think it would be wise to have um, our family members to be able to, um, if, if there's possible to be able to use some type of vision simulators or see some type of videos to be able to see how we see things. Because especially when you have low low vision or limited vision, then there's always that thought process of, oh, he can see or she can see, or they see better than what they're letting on. And mm-hmm. It's 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 like they don't really get it. Right. So I think if there's a way there's there's a places that you can buy vision simulators that they can put on, they can walk around and like walk around in our shoes for the day or there's videos that they can watch. I think those or if they could even take a class or if they could actually sit in on some of these support groups. Right. Or just talk to someone else, because, you know, how you know, and I know and I know, and you know that they can hear from you, Lisa. But you know, if they hear from me or someone else, it's completely different. Like I can talk to my wife about something and we'll go to church and my pastor will say something. And she's like, I never heard that before. I'm like, we mm-hmm. just talked about that on the way to church. What do you mean? You've never heard it before. I'm like, but so it's like, it's just somehow we just need to be able to put them in other rooms where they can hear from somebody else and, and be able to have patience with them. I think that would be my, uh, my biggest advice for our family members. Thank you. All right, Jane, we'll check in with you one more time. All right, and she's our last hand. No other questions? I could talk all night. <laughs> I was hey, hoping we're, Jane we're out of hands. Jane and I worked together a while back. Sorry, Jerome, I keep watching for hands oh, here. Sorry, I thought I was unmuted and I've been talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so sorry. So, Jerome, what was uh, your biggest struggle becoming an orientation and mobility instructor? Was there a part of that that was really because of your own uh, vision? Hmm. I think my... Honestly, my biggest struggle was the dang on test, the certification test. <laughs> the the certification test is a beast. Um it's 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 200 something questions. Um, I'm out. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's hours hours long and so um even though I had, you know, accommodations, I can get it. I had the, the test magnified. I had time and a half. But even with, you know, even with the test being magnified, each question is probably a paragraph long. 
And then each answer is like A, B, C, and D is a paragraph. And then having it magnified, you know, it's only so much you can get. So you're panning and scanning back and forth, being magnified. So literally at the end of the test, my shoulder was hurting, just panning and scanning. So I took that test three times. Um, And and I believe I just didn't do well, just sort of fatigue. Um, that third time I, I studied so well. And then I got the best tip. Uh, a friend of mine told me to read the answers first. And so when you read the answers first, it just kind of eliminated some of the answers. You could just easily kind of figure out which answer didn't belong. And you kind of knew what the question was. Um, and I was just so prepared. But that was the, I think that was the hardest part. And then, well, no, I take that back. Um, one other thing, I the hardest thing I had to do even in life was I was blindfolded and um, I call them a hover round, but it's the mobility scooter. I was in, I had to drive a mobility scooter blindfolded with the cane on a Lubbock sidewalk with a narrow sidewalk with bushes off to the left. And it was, and the, the um, joystick wasn't calibrated and any slight movement to the right would have had me fall off the sidewalk and that mobility scooter is like 300 pounds. So that mean it would have fell on top of me The bl- and it was super humid outside. It was, it was the scariest, hardest, craziest thing I ever had to do. Yeah, that sounds more difficult. I've, I've rat- ridden our uh, tandem bike um, on the front with my cane. Um, but I have a little more control there than a mobility scooter. So yeah, that sounds a little intimidating. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, awesome. All right. Was there anything else you wanted to share that you had kind of in mind to share? I think the biggest thing is I, I, I want everyone to understand that there's way more things that we can do than what we can't do. Um, I have a client right now that I think is absolutely amazing and crazy at the same time. Um, and hopefully you guys will hear about him soon. He is a young man down in Tucson and he's attempting to be the first blind, um, bull rider. Um, he has already ridden, uh, a bucking horse and he has been driving all over, the you know the southwestern part of this country trying to get people to let him do it and he's finding people to do it he's trying to get sponsorships and and it's just amazing that i mean i wouldn't ride a bull if i had 2020 vision let alone yeah. complete vision um but it's just it just points out to me that hey there's still way more than what we can do than what we can't do and yeah. so i think a lot of times that we we kind of think that our vision or lack thereof um, limits us when that's that's probably not the case. There's probably ways that around things. Um, and I think sometimes we just kind of got to, you know, figure out ways to modify it or just like figure out how we can do it. Uh, I think another thing, too, is. I would I would like for everybody to understand that. Sometimes we we want to try to fit in with people and that's probably not the case. You know, we, we need to actually start getting people to be more comfortable around us. 
and and not trying to fit in and not trying to not use our cane and not trying to uh, act like we can see when we can't see. Um, and then because then what will what will happen is we'll get frustrated and we'll get we'll get angry at, at how people treat us or lack thereof. And it's not a function of them being malicious. It's just that they don't have the education. They're not aware. They're, they don't know how to treat us or how to behave or now how to behave around us because they don't know. And the more we try to blend in and the more we try to behave and act like them, the less and less they get an opportunity to try to be able to help us or be around us. So we have to do our part to be able to um, help them to help us. Yeah. So um, what is the oddest question that you've been asked because of your your low vision? Mm. I've had people ask me, um, do you know sign language? Oh, you're <laughs> blind. Do you know sign language? Um, like just odd things. How do you do this? What? How? how do you go to the bathroom? You know, like, how do you brush your teeth? I'm like, how do you, it's the same way type of a thing. So I wasn't sure. Have you ever had any of those odd kind of questions posed to you? I don't know if I had an odd question, but I've had a real odd accusation. Um, I had family members suggest that, suggesting that I was paying to go blind. And I was like, wow, what? wow. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, first of all, how do you pay to go blind? <laughs> and two, why would anyone do that? Like, yeah. that's the dumbest accusation in the history of accusations. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, when you went back to school, um, were the other students, I know you said you were a little bit older than them, um, you being in your early 30s, <laughs> it's a good 10 years. Um, so was that like a challenge, just the age difference with you having a disability? It wasn't, it wasn't, it was a challenge all in my head. Yeah. It was just think- my pride. It was my pride because, I mean, you got to remember, because I, I started, my son I started early. So my son was born a week after I turned 18. So my son is like almost the same age as some of these kids. Right. Yeah. So I'm in the classroom. I'm 31. And at the time, my son is like, what, 14, 15. Right. So I'm in classroom with 18 year olds and they listen to the same music. They talk around the same thing as my. So it's like I'm, I'm looking at these kids and they're like my son's age. So that was the hardest part of me just not asking for help and me just struggling. I remember my math class that I was struggling with. Um, I forgot what class it was this, it was this, um, this, this program, not program, but, um, this formula, I was typing the formula out. Um, I forget. It's like, I forgot the name of the pro- the formula, but it was, I was typing it out and I was making keystroke errors, but I went to tutoring and the, one of the kids actually showed me how you can program the actual formula in the calculator. So all I had to do was press a button and then put in it like for A, B, and C. I would just put in six for A, four for B and C. And I, I ended up passing the, the, the test so easily. I was like, the next time we took a test, I was done before everybody. I was done <laughs> so fast that I sat there because I didn't want the teacher to think I was cheating. Like, and, I was like, 
And I was so mad at myself because I struggled the whole semester because I just didn't want to ask for help. It's like, we, why would I just struggle so much? It's like, if anything, I would just say, we just have to ask for help. We just got to get out of our own mind. So many people want to help. And I think that sometimes, like, part of the problem is we don't know what to ask for. Mm-hmm. We know we're sitting there struggling, but until someone, you know, but we don't know the answer. So it's not like I need help in this way. And I think it's a lot easier to ask for help when you have an idea of what that help looks like. Um, but when you're just learning it yourself and you don't know what that help is, you just, you know what, you know what the outcome you want is, but you're not quite sure what those steps are in between. You really get trapped in your own head and it's really hard to even ask for that help when you're like, how can someone else help me when I don't even know what I need? That's true too. That's true too. But I think even, but I would say when you're in school, like there's a, there's a consistent barrage of people asking for help. Like, you know, they come in, they actually come into the class and saying, Hey, this is help if you need disability, if you have a disability. This is help if you need tutoring. This is help for this. I mean, you can't get away from it. Like they consistently ask you if you need help. They're like, it's the teachers are asking you. They 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 make themselves available. It's all in your syllabus. It's like everywhere. You have to like almost avoid it purposefully, like I did to not <laughs> get help. You yeah. know, so um yeah, sometimes I get it, but but I would just say it was just more pride for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I had that mobility um, instruction from Tom when I was in elementary school. Um, But at that point, I was never given a cane or anything like that. And I honestly, um, I was low vision my entire life. I, my vision dramatically started to decrease as I was getting older into my early 20s. Um, And I still pretended like I could see, you know, for some reason, walking off the curb looked better than using a cane and not falling off that curb to me. Um, And it wasn't until I had my daughter and I was walking outside on the streets with her that I decided I need to use a cane to keep her safe. It was never about my safety. It was, oh my gosh, I have this kid and I don't want her to get hurt. So I better have a cane so people know I can't see. So they're more careful around us. Um, And it wasn't until I started using it regularly that I really got you know, felt the benefits of it and realized how little I could actually see. Um, And after I worked with Jerome, um, I flew to um, Nebraska by myself, went to the ACB convention and flew home all independently, me and my cane, me and Candy um, (laughs) made the trip. And and, and, but I had that confidence um, of just doing that, you know, reviewing those skills that I hadn't really been using very well or very much. And I knew the stuff, but it was really a confidence thing, uh, you know, mostly. And that's really where Jerome stepped in and helped me was getting that confidence back. And, oh, I, I, I do know what to do. I am doing it right and not second guessing myself every step I took. And, you know, you brought up a great point that I do need to touch on, too. And the cane is an identification. 
it's like having an ID badge. Like if you if you're going to if you if you have a job, like you belong here, um, because it as much as people think that it's like a, a scarlet letter, like it's it, it'll somehow have you looking vulnerable. It also helps you. So in those cases, when I used to go in Cafe Zupla and I would ask, you know, what's the soup of the day? Instead of me feeling like I'm illiterate or less than. You know, if I had that cane, then, of course, the little kid behind the register wouldn't just point and say it's up there. He probably would just read it to me. Or when I'm in the grocery store and I'm asking someone, hey, where's the Campbell soups? And, and they say over there that that frustrates me over there. Well, I'm like, China is over there, sir. Like, what do you mean over there? Over there is everywhere. Right. But if you have <laughs> your if you have your cane. They would actually maybe take you over there, right? So that's what we have to understand. Like that cane is an identifier. It actually makes your life easier. And yeah. someone else even asked about um, like their spouses or family members too. There's so many times when I work with family members and they say, hey, you know, can you give me a cane? Because when I'm with my husband or my wife, people get out of the way. And when I'm when I'm, when I'm with them, I wish I still had the cane because people in my way, I was going to have a cane. So people, who <laughs> <my wife. laughs> like, yeah. so, so that's another thing that I would say, like people literally move out of your way. Yeah, I like that Lisa brought that up, that it does affect um, not just us, because, you know, um, when my husband would go in and I didn't use a cane, he'd fill out my paperwork at the doctor. Um, one of the doctors thought he was an abusive husband because he was doing it for me, not because I was low vision and couldn't see it. You yeah. know, that was their first and they told him that and that made him feel horrible. Like, oh, my gosh, right. what do people think of me? Yeah. Um, and then when I came in with my cane and he's filling it out, there's no questions asked. He's a great husband. There you go. The one thing changed, you know, you me go. having a cane in my hand and me not completely changed that situation in the way he is viewed. Um, my mom is really she 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 very even now me using my cane for so long. She she's like, oh, you don't need that. I'll just guide you. OK, mm -hmm. mom, you forget. I can't see even though it's been my entire life and I'm standing here in the middle of the store. Like, no, that's my eyes. You just took my eyes away. Yeah. And, you know, at first when I started using it, I'd be like, oh, OK, I'd be very timid. Now I'm like, no. And I, I want it. I need it. it. You know, it's not just for you. You know, I don't care how you look, um, it, unfortunately, but it's how I feel comfortable. I know if I need to go to the bathroom, I can go do that independently um, and, and, and find my way around and not have to touch everything. Absolutely. It's of a thing. Yeah, it, it definitely gave me a sense of independence. So. Absolutely. All right, All right, got just over five minutes left, Kayla. Do we have any hands right now, Travis? No. All right. Jerome, do you have any like closing statement or anything you would like to make to kind of just anything? You want to so do we want to hear what people's favorite soup was? I am assuming that's oh, why yeah, you that, asked, that would, right? <laughs> that would be cool. That would be cool. So how often did you actually get the soup of the day, or did you always just default to chicken noodle because you knew they say, had them? I would just say chicken noodle. I, I would I, yeah. I have had chicken noodle or a cheeseburger at just about every restaurant <laughs> across the, the Eastern yeah. Valley. Yeah what's, yeah. Your, what's your, yeah. what's your favorite chicken? Uh, what's your favorite soup <laughs> and what would you be? Would yeah. Be? So if you want to raise your hands. Um, 
And oh my gosh, I've had so many cheeseburgers also, just because it's like, I don't even know what to order. There Let's just do that. There, you can put them, you don't have to cut it. You can pick it up and there put you it, go. you know, <laughs> it's so easy. All There's right. Nora. All right. Hey, Nora. Yeah, hello. My, one of my favorite soups is split peas with ham. Nice. Ooh, yum. Yep. Uh, and being with bacon, two of my favorites. Yum. And if you could be anything, what would you be? Well, I think I would be like a, a like a sort of like a receptionist to answer the phone. Nice. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Nora. Glad you're here tonight. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. Hi. And sorry if you can hear my dogs whining. Um, the plumber is now here. Um, three hours late. <laughs> 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 so, but I'll have a new garbage disposal. So. Mm. All right, Travis. Do we have any other hands? No, ma'am. All right. Thank you. Appreciate you. Um, Jerome, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your day to be here um, and share your story with us and be encouraging. Um, and and yeah, so just thank you so much for your story. I appreciate you doing that. Anything, anytime, anytime, any way, anytime I can be a resource. <laughs> let me know if you guys need help with anything. Just reach out to Kayla. She can give you my information. I'm just a phone call away. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and then thank you, Travis, for hosting us tonight. Thank you, um, Tayanne, for being over there in Clubhouse and sharing this with them. And thank you, Anthony, for getting us out there on Media 5.